This episode is brought to you by Dream Symbols, and I have a special announcement. Dream is starting what they're calling the Dream Hang, and the first event is going to be February 9th at Fame Studio in Muscle Shoals, Alabama. So what they're doing is they're going to bring a bunch of symbols down to the studio. They're going to, you know, you can test them out. They're going to have Scott Pellegrum there. He's going to be demoing. They're going to be recording stuff. They've got Telefunk and Mics as a partner for these events, so you get to see, you know, how these symbols respond under really nice high-end microphones in one of the most famous studios in the world. So February 9th at the Fame Studio in Muscle Shoals, Alabama. If you're in the area, you should definitely go down, hang out for the Dream Hang. Everything that will be there will be uh, available for purchase as well. And they'll be doing more and more of these as well. So definitely check out Dream's Facebook page for the event info. Again, that's February 9th, the Dream Hang at Fame Studio in Muscle Shoals. Let's get this show rolling. Perfect. Happy New Year. Happy New Year to you, buddy. Uh, you know what? Right off the bat, you and I were guests on someone else's podcast. Oh, the New Zealand Drummer Podcast? Yeah, man. Nice. That was really cool. Uh, I can't tell you how excited he was. He was like, can you count me in the way you guys do on the podcast? I was like, yeah, sure, man. He's like, oh, that's so cool. Uh, what a That was a lot of fun. So the NZ Drummer Podcast, and uh, it, was, it was very cool. I was running down the list because I had never heard of that podcast before. I don't listen to a lot of drumming podcasts and I'm scrolling down and I see guest Mike Dawson. I'm like, get yeah. out of town. <laughs> yeah, it was a couple of weeks ago. Yeah, he's a great You're hang famous. because I mean he and I are both just super nerds about studio drumming. So that that's mm. we just went down that rabbit hole. It was fun. Nice. Really cool guy. Really fun podcast to do. And uh, and I learned a new slang for complimenting someone. Oh yeah? He said, "He said, uh, I don't mean to keep pissing in your pocket, but I'm really." And then he went on to compliment me, and I was like, "Wait, does that mean you're saying something nice?" That was what an awful compliment. I know, and I, I was like, "Wait, that's your term for complimenting people? That you're pissing in their pocket?" I was like, "All right." I was like, "That's fantastic. That's that's a Bob's your uncle right there. I'll take it." So. If I ever drop that on you, that means that I'm in the midst of saying nice things about you. Okay. Yeah, don't now don't you know. ever say pissing to me. <laughs> <laughs> how about how about I just never ever bring it up? <laughs> but apparently it goes well in New Zealand. It took me by surprise, so how's everything with you, man? It's doing good. I um it's a new year, new me, no resolutions, but I'm 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 deciding to I'm at that uh, that breaking point where I've got this routine that I like to do every day to make sure I don't get worse. Okay. But now I'm feeling the need to change things up a bit. So just trying to determine, like, which of these exercises should I keep doing? Which should I expand on? What should I start every day with so I'm not doing the exact same thing first thing yeah. on the on the on the pad? Because I do, I do, like, pad workout every day. Actually, it's on the, the beatnik. So and I had like a system like go through this sticking, this sticking, these accents. But so I'm trying to mix it all up. Like go with the one that I have the least control of first. So it's just kind of okay. this, you know, just trying to rethink. Like where do I need to push myself? Where do I need to just stay consistent? Because I haven't reached my goal yet. You know, it's, okay. it's that whole thing where you set a goal and it could take you a decade to reach it. Well, then do I not do anything else in the meantime? <laughs> do I just keep that, doing that, isn't that one the toughest thing? thing? I think, man, uh, I guess. One of the hardest things about being an online teacher primarily, obviously I you know, teach in person and teach camps and stuff, but dealing with my online students is trying to narrow their focus while also wanting to expand them as drummers. Like, yeah. uh, I do want you to work on that and I want you to devote a lot of attention to it, but yeah, you're going to need to work on your hand speed and make sure you work on your foot speed, but how's your independence? Is it okay? <laughs> your feel sounds a little iffy. Rushing, you are rushing. It's like, oh my gosh, yeah. Yeah, what am I supposed yeah. to practice? It's it's very overwhelming for all of us. Yeah, the thing for me is I, I, I don't have more time. I'm not going to magically have more time in a day, right. so I still have this chunk of 45 minutes or whatever to dedicate to practicing and maintenance and pushing myself, so I have to let some things go, add some new things it's always a fine balance i don't think I've you know the tough out. thing is that we gain so many of the core skills that you and i have at a time where we had a lot more than 45 minutes a day and now you and i are both responsible for teaching people that started playing as adults and they they have your life and my life now 
as far as they have 45 free minutes to practice, but they don't have those core skills. Yeah. And that's what I think is so difficult because I look at it and go, dude, I had 15 minutes today. I got plenty done. It's like, well, yeah, but I also have 35 years of practice in my back yeah. or in my back pocket, you know? So in my back, um, but <laughs> got some back pain. <laughs> <laughs> I'm carrying around 35 years. It's killing me. Um, but yeah, so I think that that's also part of our role as educators is to make sure that we're always in the mindset of the student and in the lifestyle of the student and the history of the student and thinking, okay, how would I attack it if I was in your position? Because I am not in your position. And that was always what drove me nuts as an attendee of clinics was when pro drummer guy would stand on stage and give me advice as if I was him. Yeah, and it's like, well, yeah, but the, I can't yeah. play any of the things you can play. So, <laughs> yeah, no. What were you doing when you were twelve? <laughs> Stud. I got to be real uh, careful with that too, because a lot of what I'm teaching these days is kind of conceptual. It's definitely upper level, I would think, college, mm-hmm. grad school level, but not technically difficult, just conceptually. And I'm like. There's so many steps along the way that I'd, I've forgotten about, like studying classical music and learning how to shape a phrase, like things that, man, we could spend a year just how to shape a rock beat. But I'm and just you assuming take it for it. granted now. Yeah, I'm just assuming that, yeah, every time you play something, shape it. Like, don't just play right. the same dynamic every single time. That right. kind of stuff. Assuming that everyone has worked through stick control so they can do all the singles and double combinations fluidly <laughs> man uh, and and yeah maybe even bump your beatnik up to uh does h stand for hard <laughs> yeah right that's yeah yeah because i feel real good on m is <laughs> medium. that medium <laughs> yeah, feel, it's funny because i i do what i do is my routine with that is i have it on uh h that's like my default okay. So after I get through like a, a repetition, I always scroll back to see, well, where was it at on the easy? <laughs> where was it right. at on the yeah. medium? Because the H is frustrating. If I can get 75, 80 on H, I mean, I know I'm locked in. Then you scroll yeah. to the expert level and it's like 30%. <laughs> you yeah. know? Well, I, I, we talked about this when I first started this journey onto working on my time, which is the revelation I had that I don't think you get better at time. I think you get better at recognizing time and fixing it and the faster you do that the better you have good time but if you think about it when someone has bad time they're not sitting there dragging or rushing knowing that it's happening yeah they have that's no what awareness. makes it bad time they don't know it's happening so the sooner you can recognize it the sooner you could fix it if those people could recognize it it's not like they're so bad at the drums they can't speed back up or slow down they just don't know what's happening in the first place And that's what I notice as I'm getting back into the time thing again is I'm starting to hear the inconsistencies between the notes. I'm hearing whether things are rushing or dragging because there's a point where I think you can hear that you're off. You just Mm -hmm. don't know how you're off. So then you – That's the frustrating window. Tightrope back and forth, right? Yeah. That was the worst for me and I'm still struggle with it day to day. But that was a good six-month period where nothing was passable. Like literally nothing I played was acceptable because I could hear that it was all over the place. I just couldn't get my reflexes to tighten it up. (laughs) Yeah. And that's – I think that that's what is starting to slowly come back to me now is I'm hearing it quicker and quicker. I'm making those micro adjustments faster and hopefully – Hopefully I will make those micro adjustments so fast that they're imperceivable by any of the listeners. So to them, it just sounds like I have good time. It's like, well, I I recognized it in the exact moment it was happening and corrected for it. I think that was one of the things that that Steve Gagg kind of dropped in one of his first videos. Just like, think about it. All you got to do is think about it. Like, I think the question was, how do you stay in the pocket or how do you keep, you know, from rushing during fills? He's like, well, you just think about it. Know that your tendency is to rush during fills and be aware of it and don't do it. (laughs) It's so simple. It's such a weird thing because I think we are all trying to get to the point that we sit on the instrument and we're on cruise control. But because it's very difficult for three to four minutes to be completely hyper aware of everything you're doing while still feeling like you're free to to make it feel good. Yeah. And it's it's a weird balance and we all go through it and you know doing the podcast that you and I did as at, and being interviewed and then I did another one after that called the Drum Shuffle podcast and in both of those I realized that the one thing that both of these podcast hosts enjoy about this podcast is that it reminds them that 
we're all in this together and we're still going through the same things. Yeah. And that you and I are not sitting up here like, okay, we've achieved something. Here's how it's done. We're going like, holy crap. How am I not any better at this? I mean, there's a reason why the older you get as a drummer, the the grumpier you get, because you realize there is no end. (laughs) There's no end. I think Bernard, Bernard Purdy might be the only aging drummer that I feel like he's just having fun now. He can do no wrong. Everything he plays is perfect. That's, I think that's part of his gift is just natural sense of music. But I think of you know my all my heroes every day, every day you know they're like man that sucked like what was I doing they like yeah, replaying yeah, yeah. the gig like man that one song I missed that one accent it wasn't as tight as I it mean, should have been shouldn't it be that just like we go to Nam and Vinny and Dave are like holding hands and skipping down the aisles they're <laughs> yeah. so good but they're Smoking not happy cigars. about where they're at <laughs> yeah just like ah we killed it we won we won the drums but it doesn't I happen I don't ever oh. want to get to that point good grief that would be terrible. No. To just give that's, up, and like, not, I'm good enough, I did it, I've achieved it. Yeah, that's what makes this uh, an adventure for all of us, and it's also what bonds us together because we're all going through it together. Now, we did this last year, want to do it again. Give me either a phrase or something that you're hearing in the world right now that you either, <laughs> one, don't want to say yourself or you want to stop <laughs> hearing people say it. So last year, we had content oh, was yeah. yours, right? Yeah, I think Especially I was creamy pretty, content. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I was think I was pretty good about not using it uh, in a in a marketing way ever. I think yes, I think, and I know that I never said crushing it in 2018 or crush it in 2018. <laughs> so those were that was mine. That was yours. Do you have one for 2019? Uh, the big one, which I texted you. I never want to call someone or be called an influencer, and I don't want to ever hear anyone call anyone else an influencer ever again. <laughs> Get rid that of the word. A, Either you're a, a good. You're inspiring at your craft or you're not. Right. Influencer, get the hell out of here. <laughs> yeah, that is. I mean, I, I I feel the same way you do. Either you have an impact or you don't. Yeah. But And if you call yourself an influencer, get that's when I know you're looking for like a Lay's potato chip endorsement. Get like a you're damn going to gig. That. <laughs> <laughs> that, that is the shirt that Steve Jordan should wear. Get a damn gig. Just like all black you got, shirt, white text. That, all you got is hashtag influencer. I'm sorry. Right. Go play a gig, man. Go play a gig. <laughs> I'm glad I've never used that hashtag. All right, here's mine. And I don't know if either of us do it because I don't listen to this podcast back anymore. But I, it drives me nuts when other people do it on radio shows, <clears throat> in drum videos. Every time I hear it, it drives me nuts. And I don't want either of us to ever interview ourselves. And what I mean by that is this is what, what drives me nuts. I'll show you. <clears throat> Let me get ready. Do I think Pearl is poised to make a move? Yes, I think Pearl is poised to make a move. Do I think Ludwig has something in the gates? Yes, I think Ludwig has something in the gates. I hate that oh, stuff. I can't. It's oh, like, hey. yeah, I said stuff. I'm all good. But I can't stand that. Like, stop. If Mike, if you have a question, ask me. I'll answer it. But if I have a question, I'll ask you. But I don't need to ask it of myself. That's like the selfie version of an interview. Yes, yes. It's, a, it's an interview selfie. I can't stand that. Do I think Aaron Rodgers needs a new coach? Of course I think Aaron Rodgers needs a new coach. Like, oh. You know who does that really well in humor is the comedian Chris D'Elia. Like he'll, oh, okay. he'll start his podcast every once in a while just asking himself the most absurd questions like rapid fire. Right. Should I be better at this? Yes, of course. He just keeps going and going. It's it's funny, oh. but yeah, he's he's I, been a big inspiration for me for like because he his whole comedy is calling out the BS that's in the world at large, especially nice. in media. So I, when I see him going after somebody, he he does like Instagram pick of the week, and it's always some crazy influencer hashtag influencer okay. that he's right. just ripping the shred. So he does that. <laughs> it's funny. I agree. I will never ask myself any questions ever yeah no that's we can't we can't do it we can't go there and if we do go there listeners please let us know i'm i'm told call us out because i'll tell you right now everyone has called us out on not called us out but they have mentioned i do clinics and they'll raise their hand i say yeah sir uh do you feel that you're creating good content this year while crushing it? Into, I'm like, you podcast listening son of a gun. Like, come on, man. 
Uh, oh, people you, know too much about our lives. Do I have another one? I, I mean, the influencer one was a big one for me. I just asked myself a question, by the way. It totally, <laughs> no, that's totally different. skated past It's you. okay <laughs> to be slightly rhetorical. It's different when you actually announce it. And when you, okay, when you ask yourself a question you don't know the answer, that's okay. Uh, when you ask yourself a question scripted. you already have the answer, that's, that's, I'm not. Do I think Questlove has chops? Of course I think Questlove has chops. That's when it's a problem. <laughs> oh, goodness. I so think, how do you feel about uh, independence and bass drum polyrhythms? How do you think you about, about uh, Gilholm's uh, beat? <laughs> from <laughs> that been on loop for the last 20 minutes? Ago. Gilholm crushed it. Great intro groove. Thank you. Uh, we're going to fade his beat back in because this is a really cool one. This... <laughs> I just spit a little raw pu'er all over the place. Oh. So he's, it says it's pronounced his name is Gilholm. He's from Montreal. I don't speak French, so I, I'm sure I'm pronouncing it wrong. But that beat was inspired by uh, Joey Wonker's vibe, which I think he nailed it. So he said the key to getting that sound was to play super soft. Um, and he's actually he actually has his, his snare drum hand resting on his thigh so he can't actually hit the drum that hard super cool and there's one microphone above the bass drum that's kind of the trick he says to getting that sound I love that vibe awesome very cool alright well let's get into some educational stuff <coughs> so this is did you say this was a fellow Canadian Daniel Bedard yes he is indeed another French Canadian Boom. So he wrote uh, in your Rock and Jazz Clinic article, he wrote uh, an article called The Polyrhythmic Bass Drum Workout. And it's based off of what Vinny was doing on Jing Chi's uh, self titled album. And the track is called uh, Stand Key. And at the 423 mark, Vinny starts hitting the China. And you can feel like, okay, the spacing is non syncopated. The spacing between every China hit is there. He's grooving in 4 4. But that China's not lining up just right. And what's happening is he's playing a four over five polyrhythm. He's hitting the China on every fifth, sixteenth note. So one E and a two E and a three E and a four E and oh, going over the bar line. Or you could fill it in five four, but since the groove's in four four, you're just going to have to keep going and going and going. Mm-hmm. It's going to take five bars to get back to the downbeat of one, or you can round it off whenever you feel like it. Now, do you want to play a little clip of this? Yeah, let's drop in the uh, that section of the track. Is it's how do you spell? It's two words: stand key. S T A N K E Y. Stand key. question when i hear stuff like that is is what is the drummer thinking do you think Vinny is thinking first of all do you think he's thinking what he's doing at all or is it just something that he's he's practiced enough to where it comes out naturally do you think he's counting the four four do you think he's counting the five i don't think he's counting the five i i think and i guess what i wonder is is his brain in a place of a polyrhythmic area where he's hearing those as two individual metronomes going off at the mm-hmm. same time. Like his groove is one and his China is another. Or does he hear it the way I almost was singing it where it's just accenting every fifth note. One E and a two E and a three E and a four Which e would assume that he's thinking in four four, which is exactly. not the Pete Magadini approach where you should be able to hear both at the same time. Correct. And, and I would never ever pretend that I could get inside Vinny's head so I have no idea. I would think one, he's not thinking at all but I guess the one thing that would be curious to me and if I could ask him, I would love to know did you work this out earlier in your drumming and then decide it's happening or did you really think at this point in time I feel that this song needs to actually feel stretched so I'm going to insert a pulse that is longer than every 4th 16th note because that gives you the the impression that you're stretching time and the tempo is almost slowing down. Mm-hmm. You know, again, we can't 
know exactly what's happening. You know, wouldn't it be awesome if we had a uh, being John Malkovich, but it was being Vinny Cayuta portal? You can go yes. into. <laughs> I'm not spray. completely positive that hasn't happened. <laughs> I think he's been many different people at many different times. But, uh, uh, but I mean, I my assumption would be his brain processes things so quickly that all of that that you just uh, you were pontificating happened simultaneously. Mm, yes, I practiced yeah. this stuff. Yes, this needs something different. I'm going to do fives like on an instant. That's what I would assume because he does so much of this stuff. Or if you transcribe yeah. it, you're like that sounded like drums down a stairway. But you transcribe right. it like, holy crap, he was subdividing sevens in the triplets and all kinds of crazy stuff. He knows stuff. exactly what he was doing. Right. Um, yeah, so so Daniel starts with that as that's what triggered this article. But thank you, Daniel, for not starting the article with that groove because then there's just – I'll just turn the page. Right. Um, if exercise one is going to take me a month, I'm good. Uh, so what he does is he starts off – with a pretty simple four over three polyrhythm. So you got eighth notes, or you can think of it as a uh, three over two. So he's got eighth notes happening on the hi-hat and then playing every third 16th note. Um, so if you're on the bass drum, so your hi-hats are playing one and two and three and one and two and three and... And then he's got the bass drum on one E and a two E and a three E and a one E and a two E and a three E and a... And if I stop counting... Now this is just a pulse. Mm-hmm. That's what makes it polyrhythmic is if we got rid of those hi-hats, that could be any – my snapping could be quarter notes, could be eighth notes. You could turn into anything you want and then you can modulate through that polyrhythm. So he starts us there and then just builds from there. I think – and this is one word, you know, going deeper into what's on the page for me is really where the, the extra value is. Like number one, for instance, he doesn't go into this. The whole, the whole article is in 16th-based – subdivision so this is a three four pattern the pulse is the the hi-hat one and two and three and but i'd like to also say well what if the bass drum becomes the pulse so the four becomes your pulse now you're playing triplets and the hi-hat is playing every two triplet notes so we know like without changing the pattern can you hear it as 16th notes with the bass drum playing the counter rhythm or can you hear it as triplets with the hi-hat playing the counter rhythm? That's the that's going down the rabbit hole of all of this stuff. And I think what you and I talked about um, previously about this stuff is it's not – this is where you and I as educators kind of get into stuff with our students. And we have this little battle. And Pete definitely had it with me. I was the feisty little 24-year-old like, this is <laughs> stupid because it's hard. <laughs> right. Um, and what I didn't realize at the time was that I wasn't going to be the one to be playing this. Someone else in my band was going to be the one doing it. I was going to be holding it down for them right. with full confidence that I knew what they were doing. It wasn't weird. It's like, oh, cool, you're just hitting every third 16th note or you're hitting every fifth 16th note. I'll support you in that, and I know where your phrase ends. Yeah, and then, yeah. So think of – there's been a few bass players that have schooled me on subdivision and phrasing. And in most cases, this is what they do. They will – so you're, if we're playing in 3-4, they start playing every third 16th note, and then all of a sudden they start playing phrases that are that fit within that four-note grouping. So it sounds like they're in 4-4 four, four, and I'm in 3-4, but you know it, right. it would throw me off. And so then I would just shift. My ear would jump. I'd be screwed. I'd need them to give me a clear downbeat to get me back on right. the one. So that, like you said, I think practicing this stuff is the ear training. Can you... Can you intellectualize a four over three without losing sense of where the three is? And then can you flip it and yeah. intellectualize the four against the three without losing the sense where the four is? Like where both of the pulses can sure. live. Um, so it's the ear train for me is the real value. I, and again, that's assuming years of independence practice to where we could essentially sight read this page and then say, well, what what's the point? Like, there's yeah. an independence challenge just to learning it, and that's obviously really important. But once you do that, well, what's the musical th- application of this stuff? You think Pino Palladino doesn't play groupings of three in 16th notes or you know, yeah. groupings of five? It's like, of course. And, and that's what gives you that relaxed feel on the kit is knowing what's rhythmically possible, what's around you. I hear a lot of polyrhythmic stuff, even though a lot of times it will round off by the end of the measure. So it never materializes into a full polyrhythm. 
But I hear those odd groupings that are evenly spaced a lot in in vocals. Yeah, um, for sure. Yeah, a lot of people, especially if it's anything rap or hip hop related, where they're phrasing faster vocal lines and they're accenting these things, especially when you get into that world of triplets. If you're feeling hearing every fourth eighth note triplet or mm-hmm. fourth sixteenth note triplet, and I think that that's where all of these things kind of come together. You have groupings, subdivisions, creating polyrhythms, which allow for modulations. And yeah, and then phrasing within that. So you're not just playing only playing the downbeat of the four. You actually right. have. Now that new pulse becomes an option for you to play on the E and the and and the uh and right. combinations yeah. within that. Yeah, it goes goes insane quickly. It does. And I and I think that in all honesty, Daniel actually did a really good job of taking that insanity and making it a little more basic. You know, we start with number one, eighth notes on the hi-hat, every third sixteenth note on the bass drum, put it into three, four, rounds off at the end of the measure, we're good. You only have three quarter notes <laughs> worth of time to figure out. <laughs> right. Um, and you can literally look at the chunks and go like, okay, I've got one and a. Cool. Yeah, yeah. Take a break. Get a T. <laughs> Two and I'm done. And then three E and sweet. Yeah. Come back and do it again. <clears throat> so that's not too bad. Then when we get to number two, he brings in the backbeat. Well, by bringing in the backbeat, it's not going to work in three, four. So we have to double the measure. Now we have a measure of six, four. And once you have that backbeat in, I think that's right there. If you could just do number two on this page, eighth notes on the hi-hat. Two and four on the snare drum. Well, in this case, two, four, and six. Mm-hmm. And then every third, 16th note on the bass drum. Just that one exercise would serve you so well. And you will hear that in so much music. You'll hear people playing that on keys. You'll hear it on guitar, bass lines, vocal lines. Uh, but obviously he goes further than that and starts doubling up those notes. Yeah, I think it's a good way to, to learn the polyrhythm is you know play that that backbeat version in 6/4 so you know every 6 beats it resolves back to 1 but right. again the application in, of my subconscious says well it should be in 4/4 four, four because 90% of what I'm doing is in 4/4 four, four. so right. can I count in 4 while playing example 2 which is in 6 and then can I get through four bars of that and resolve it in a way that makes sense right like that's where I start transitioning into how could I actually use it on a gig? Because how often do I actually play in 6-4? Almost never, but I play in 4-4 every day. But I want to be able yeah. to do this and make this this effect of playing across the bar line. Yeah. So, again, he doesn't do that in the article because it would take up so much page space to do four bars of 4-4 four, four to have it resolved. But that would be the next step that I would do. So, example one, I would focus on hearing each part as the pulse. And example two, I would immediately thrust it into 4-4 four, four and see if I can resolve it properly yeah uh so i just put out a new course on odd groupings and it's it's going to be a lot of courses so i put out a course on the threes and the one Mm. thing that i did with every exercise whether it was on the pad whether it was on the kit as a groove maybe on your bass drum groupings of threes and, and it was in 16th notes uh or even as a fill as an improvisation thing was we learned the one measure version the two measure version and Mm. then finally the three measure version which is like an, an infinite loop. But getting used to like, okay, well, when do I run out of time? I've got one E and a two E and a three E and a four E and uh Okay, so I'm going to stop and then I have to a one. Mm-hmm. In that two measure version, one E and a two E and a three E and a four E and a one E and a two E and a three E and a four E and one. Okay, so I have to round that one off. And once you learn those things, you learn how to get out of it because rarely like you said rarely are you going to stay in that cycle like i'll just hit every third 16th note for the next six months like yeah. you're, you're probably going to want to round it off um and it's also important like we were talking about when other musicians play this stuff a lot of times especially if it's an improvised thing you don't get a heads up that they're starting to do it right so right so you have to jump in one. in the middle yeah. no they yeah it's just all of a sudden you go uh that's the third time i've heard that exact spacing okay he or she is now in groupings of three five seven whatever and i can jump in, in the middle because i know if i can find and that's the and starting from there then i know where the next one is and the next one is and then i can finish the phrase with them and join them hmm yeah, it's pretty interesting. I would actually like to talk to Vinny about this stuff because I, I'm assuming he doesn't have these conversations with words in his head. But I bet that's right. what happens. I bet he just processes stuff so quickly because he's 
you know, mastered the Gary Chafee books and all that, that right. things when he was very young. Kind of goes back to what we were really originally talking about. Like, you got to set the foundation for all this stuff before you can even begin to yeah. conceptualize it on a macro level. It's really tough. It's, uh, it is. And uh, thankfully uh, to us, we have people like Daniel writing articles like this. Yeah. We have um, podcasts where we... Myself and Mike can let you know that with 60-plus years of combined drumming experience, we still have no idea what we're doing, and uh, and we're struggling right along with you. All right. So check out Daniel Bedard's article. It's a polyrhythmic bass drum workout, and definitely check out Jing Chi's self-titled album from 2002. Uh, and the track we're listening to is called Stan Key, like the actual name, Stanley Key. All right. Now on to somebody that's featured, and his name is Bobby Sanabria. Indeed. So, Bobby Snobria, this is our last week of digging through the January issue. So, uh, next week we'll be cracking open February. But Bobby Snobria uh, is in a short piece in this issue that we are calling Drum Wisdom, which is where we interview kind of notable educators or like sage type personalities to just get tidbits of advice. And um, so, it's not a full on bio kind of interview. It's more like let's let's find out what you really think about the educational side of of what you do. And Bobby is a great ambassador, uh, which he describes as just American music. It's all of America, not just the United States. That was such an eye-opener for me, and I don't think I'll ever be able to not think of it that way anymore because he expresses that South America is America. Right, yeah. There's no reason to separate it. You don't have to keep referring to this as some foreign, distant thing. This is your culture as well. Yeah, and it's it's and it's also it's easy cool. to, to kind of overlook the fact that Puerto Rican is American as well. Actually, United States of America, so right. their culture is just as much as you know. And you know, the Puerto Rican community, which he's a part of from New York City, had such a huge influence on the early days of the jazz vernacular, which I right. think is often um, overlooked because we we kind of assume that it came from New Orleans and there's marching band elements and there's African elements and we forget that there's a huge Latin American influence on what we think of as jazz. We can think of any bebop, post-bop, hard bop, b- big band record. Inevitably, there's going to be a Latin style tune on Always. there. Yeah. And, and some of the most influential drummers of all time, Roy Haynes, if you really look at his vocabulary, it's kind of like a timbale player. <laughs> you know, it's it's not yeah. it's not rudimental drumming. It's it's Latin inspired. And I think even as a young drummer of our age uh, after this era, but I think there's a moment for all of us if you went through school music where the first time you have to play Night in Tunisia and you go like, okay, well, I'll just go, I'll just go get the CD. And then you yeah. listen, you're like, yeah, I, I guess I don't know that beat. I don't yeah. know what the hell that is. <laughs> Cause it's a you hybrid. Know? It's not, it's not yeah. straight from Cuba. It's, it's a hybrid. Yeah. yeah. And that's our Blakey's version, which also has African influences. So, you know, it's kind of hard to, it's a mishmash and, and Bobby kind of embraces that. Like I'm, Puerto Rican, but I grew up in the Bronx, so I've got hip hop and R and B, and also this rich Puerto Rican American New York City culture, which includes Tito Puente and all the the legends of the Latin jazz world. Right. But then he's also, you know, studying Brazilian music and everything like the, the American music, which is hundreds of genres. Right. Well, and I mean, he just if you guys one haven't seen Bobby Sanabria play my first time seeing him was obviously the modern drummer festival. And that was the first time I think I'd ever seen a full on Latin jazz ensemble on the modern drummer festival. I don't know if it was, but it was the first time I saw it. Yeah. It's like Um, a Latin big band. Yeah. Yeah. And so, but if you need any validation, this guy has performed with Dizzy Gillespie, Tito Puente, uh, Celia Cruz, Arturo Sandoval. So, uh, this isn't some cat trying to break into the scene. This, mm. this is the real deal. This guy's done it. And, you know, and he also is what you would hope for out of somebody that's going to come out on the Modern Drummer Festival and lead a Latin big band. Is He's got that larger than life personality. Yeah. His persona, it's, you know, it's got that just, I've got this. We're in this together. And uh, he's not shrinking behind the kit. Yeah, you know? yeah, and he's leading from the drum set, which you don't see too often in that right. world. I think. I mean, think of Tito Puente as being this celebrity band leader, but he played timbales. He didn't have a drum set kind of obscuring him. 
Um, right. So yeah, he's, let's drop in actually audio from that. This is Modern Drummer Festival 2006. love about his drumming in particular is i can't identify any obvious influences or genres to me it's it's just a drummer playing percussion and drum set at the same time yeah i mean it's it's he creates rhythm rather than beats yeah yeah it's like i'm going let me do my my montuno beat and my uh <laughs> mozambique beat and yeah. Uh, <laughs> no. yeah no i i and i think that's a really cool thing and and like you said, it's it's very cool to see him leading from the drum set. The other thing is that I love that in a lot of clips that I've seen him play, he's he's got percussionists. So he's not trying to be the one-man show. If, if he's playing by himself without other percussionists, he can do that. But if the percussionists are there, then he knows how to complement them with a drum set. Yeah, you know, and, it, and he kind of shows it like the strictness that we're taught like don't play the conga pattern if you have a conga player eh, i mean if you do it with respect and with taste you can kind of play whatever the heck you want but as long right. as you know what everyone's doing and everyone's role he's he's not he's certainly not playing patterns he's pretty free right. which I yeah love. It's, it's pretty awesome he talks in the article that you guys have about how important it is for young musicians to understand the history of what they're doing and where it's coming from he talks about how led zeppelin how they were super super into blues and black american culture and then you hear that in the groove of their playing and yeah. in the depth i mean they're not no one thinks of led zeppelin as a basic rock band i mean there's so much depth that we're still decades and decades later trying to unravel all of that stuff and he also talks about David Garibaldi and Zorro being so entrenched in R&B and the history of R&B. And I, I agree. I think that whatever you're doing, you do have to go backwards and understand the history so that you know what led up to what you're doing. Yeah. Yeah. The culture. He's real big on studying the culture just as much as the music. Because if you don't know the personalities of people who play this music, then you're, you're always going to be imitating it. If you, you know, right. it's, it's like trying to learn a, a true to speak an extra another language with the true dialect versus just I can have a conversation and get you know find where the bathroom is <laughs> like yeah, yeah, can yeah. you have a real deep meaningful conversation with someone from Spain if you've only studied Spanish for 6 months versus 6 right. years or only learned out of a book versus going to a neighborhood and just trying to have a conversation with someone and just seeing those building blocks of like oh okay now that I see this I understand that the the person that I thought was responsible for all of this influence on me was actually influenced by this thing that happened 10 years before them. And I mean, do I think I'd be here without Jim Chapin? No, I do not think I'd be here without Jim Chapin. (laughs) All right. You got to know your history from our sponsor. (laughs) Boom. (laughs) All right. Anyway, yeah, check out Bobby Snobby's work. I mean, we, we can't do it justice in this short segment he's he's been nominated for multiple grammys he's got a you know he teaches at manhattan school of music and runs a latin jazz band there and he's got he's 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 a true ambassador of of truly american art so check him out Uh, take a lesson with him if you can so now our uh sponsor is dream symbols and they have something very particular they wanted me to talk about i just have to find the file where did it go (laughs) so they are doing these special um they're calling them dream symbol hangs and the first one is going to be february 9th it's at fame studio in muscle shoals alabama so they're going to bring uh, a bunch of symbols for everyone to check out they're going to have uh scott pellegram is going to be there to play and hang um, they're also going to be uh, bringing in telefunk and microphones. So everything's going to be recorded. You're going to hear what dream cool. symbols sound like being recorded in one of the most legendary uh, studios in the world. So, again, that is February 9th. So if you're in the 
Muscle Shoals area, which would include, if you're well for a road trip, Nashville, Memphis, Atlanta, Birmingham. Um, and plus, just go see the famed studio. There's so much history at that place. But the Dream Hang, February 9th. The time is to be determined, but you can factor in pretty much the whole day. Uh, so that's that. They're going to be doing more of these as well. So if you have any suggestions for studios in your area that you would like Dream to go to, feel free to send over those suggestions to mdinfo at moderndrummer.com. That's really cool. Really cool. Super cool. So, all right, well, now, I look forward to seeing some footage from that. Yeah, they're, they're taking a whole film crew too. So apparently they're going to be doing tons of, of videos. And if you're there, you can be part of it. So check it out. Nice. February 9th. Um, you can go to Dream Symbols on Facebook. They'll have an event up soon. All right. So well, let's talk about a drum. LCD. What does LCD stand for, Mike? <laughs> son of a biscuit. <laughs> you know that's Love Custom Drums. That's our good buddy, Buddy Love. Our good buddy, Buddy Love. Our good uh, buddy, Buddy Love. Gracious. So, yeah, we just reviewed, again, this is in the January issue, so you've probably already seen it, but I want to dig a little bit deeper. We, uh, Love Custom Drums and their partner company, Legato Symbols, teamed up to do a B20 bronze snare drum, two in fact. One's a 6.5 by 14, one is a 5.5 by 14. Yeah, so 6.5 by 14, 5.5 by 14. They are both made from a rolled B20 symbol blank from Turkey. Hey, I. I mean, we'll we'll listen to these, but I was blown away by, especially on the five and a half, how just incredible it sounded at its high and medium tunings. Um, not that you couldn't go low with these things because you can, but I kind of feel like we've gotten to a point with our Instagram drumming that almost every snare, you can detune it enough, throw a bunch of gaff on it, and it'll go into yeah. the Aaron Sterling thing. So I'm actually not that impressed by those tunings anymore because I, I, I know that almost every drum I have can do that. What I am impressed by is what does a drum sound like when it's cranked a bit because that's mm-hmm. when things get really funky because you've got so many overtones going on. So why don't we take a listen to the uh, – you want to do just the 5.5 by 14? Yeah, we'll just do the 5.5. You want to hear the 6.5, it's on moderndrummer.com, linked in the show notes. The only difference besides from the depth is the 6.5 has die-cast hoops, the 5.5 has triple flange. But let's check out the 5.5 right now. Yeah, I'm going to say that might be my favorite high-tuning snare drum that I've heard since we've been doing this podcast. Yeah, it's it's powerful. And that's been kind of buddy at Love, at Love Custom Drums' mission is to make drums for people to play out live. <laughs> like these are designed okay. to sound great in a room if you got a cut over a band or just, you know. Because like you said, you can make any drum sound good in a studio with a bunch of tape. But you take that right. detuned, taped-up drum to a gig and it doesn't sound so good. <laughs> it right. needs to be processed and EQ'd and compressed. These drums, yeah. they just sound right with microphones, without microphones, plenty of headroom volume-wise, but also plenty of musicality, sensitivity. So I like his whole mission, which is to give drummers tools to go use. Yeah, no, I, I couldn't agree more. And I also love the details. If you guys get a chance, please check this drum out because you need to see the lugs. I've never seen lugs like this before. They're 
this is almost a free-floating shell. This is as minimal of contact as you could possibly have with a shell. The blank, like you said, when Mike says a raw blank, what he's talking about is symbol companies get these raw blanks of metal that are going to then become – they're like flat discs. They're going to become symbols and they're going to be shaped into symbols. But they are not polished. They're not lathed. Mm-hmm. They're, they're just raw, ugly metal, which is quite beautiful. And that's what this is made out of. So it's – the cool thing that I love, I love any time you can have a drum or a cymbal and know that you and I don't have a replica. Yours will have a different patina than mine. Yeah, right. Yours will be a different color than mine. We might have the same drum, but also the fact that it's made out of this sheet of kind of alloy, it, you might even have some different characteristics in yours than I will. Yeah, I, I mean, I love that. And they're all handmade, and, and Buddy told me these are incredibly difficult to make, so he doesn't plan on doing them often or too many of them. So. Okay. <laughs> and, I mean, you're, it's not it's pretty affordable for what it is. Uh, when I say affordable, that's always relative to what we're talking about. But to have this much uh, craftsmanship into a drum, you're looking at about – Nine hundred and fifty bucks for the five and a half, and about twelve hundred dollars for the six and a half. But these are definitely—they look like they would be collectors' pieces. But like you said, Buddy makes them so they are meant to be played out and used. And uh, final word on the lugs: those are machined aluminum single point tube lugs. So those are super lightweight. They're not going to affect the resonance of the shell, but they're also not going to strip out. So cool! Definitely really cool, cool stuff. All right, we'll check out. The Love Custom Drum slash Legato B20 Bronze Snares. Uh, very cool stuff. And you can hear the six and a half, like Mike said, on moderndrummer.com. Let's get into some listener questions. Okay, so I was kind of holding off on some comments uh, earlier in our discussion about time because that's one of the questions. But before we get to that one, let's tackle two other ones. So this one is from Dante. Um, okay. What would you guys recommend for someone who wants to work on new concepts and improve their drum set playing when they are unable to be by a drum set whenever they please? Man, what a great question. It is a good question. Um, you want me to yeah. jump in first? Yeah, go ahead, man. This is kind of my whole approach to practice because I I want to be able to practice new ideas and be creative whether or not I'm at home, I'm still on the road, I'm somewhere else, I have sticks, sure. I don't have sticks. So what I do is I incorporate the element of improvisation and composition of everything that I'm practicing. So if I'm doing page one of stick control, I'll shed the exercises as they're written for a few minutes, and then I'll say, can I just freely go between these examples without thinking about it? And that immediately puts me in a more creative mindset, and I inevitably discover combinations that sound cool that I might want to expand on or that are really tricky. They're like blind spots in my technique. So that's... And I do that with everything. If I'm working on independence on the kit, as soon as I get one page of exercises, as an example, I then can I be, can I improvise with that material rather than can I turn the page and learn the next most difficult thing. So right. I think for me, it's just a mindset of you don't need a drum set to be creative. You don't need a drum set to push yourself. You just yeah. need to be thinking creatively and 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 thinking about the end result, which is. When you do get on the kit, you want to just be able to express yourself and not have to work through stick control and new breed on the time that you're on the kit. So do all that crap on a practice pad. I agree. Um, and I think that that process and finding finding those things while being creative, to me, that's actually the journey of finding my voice. Because as I'm working on stick control, I'm well aware that you have this book. I'm well aware that Scott Pellegrom has this book. Mm-hmm. It's not secret material. Now, what am I going to do with it so somebody that has studied out this book doesn't call me out and say, oh, page one of stick control. That would be right. like the worst <laughs> thing that could ever happen. It's like, what? No. No, I made it up. Right, left, left, left. So, uh, so yeah, so that's the journey is then, okay, cool. Now how do I turn this into something else? The other, Another practical thing you could do, let's say that you do have a good amount of car time Try singing like drum speak, singing different rhythms against a metronome. So I've got a metronome here. I'm going to put it on at 90 BPM and I'll put my subdivision at quarter notes. So if I have this on in my car, you can work on things like every third sixteenth note. Got oh, that was about to be every fifth sixteenth. <laughs> got 
gut, 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 fifth gut, 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 gut. Or just sing different rhythms and and think like a lot of times I'll sing and then I'll think how would I play that? So if this is my time, I might think clap to cat do delia to da to do to oh three four to oh and then I'm thinking like how what is glat to cat do right that's yeah. a flam <laughs> is there a kick in there um, and then the, then I also think about the things that I I know and I want to play I don't need to learn them but I always play them really bad one thing that I'm that I always want to have in my playing and I still am really bad at it is the people that do these I almost don't know how to explain them because they definitely don't have their own name, but they're almost like bass drum fills where somebody will be playing, and they go, yeah. And I, I, those bass drums are not in the right spot. I go, and it's like, I want that, or like, and I always hear that stuff, and I go, oh, that's so cool. There's so much low end, and it almost feels like a bass player sliding down you know, their low string. And I just go like, oh, I want to do that. Glad, doom, 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 doom. But so those are things that I'll just I'll work on singing them in the car against a metronome. So that's another thing you could do. Yeah, I think we're uh, we're both kind of hitting that the the concept of visualization is way more effective than you might think. If you can, if yeah, you can see yourself not doing a big it, part of it. Yeah, if you yeah. can see yourself doing something or hear yourself doing something. Then it's just a matter of making that actually happen. But if you can't think it and see yourself doing it, you're never going to get there you're going to be in some trouble yeah. agreed. agreed all right this is uh our last question because this could take a few this is from evan could you please talk about how we can practice time other than using the beatnik metronome um, it would be great if we could join you both on your quest for better time yeah it's a great question uh i know that uh time is something that as we talked about before it's something that you have to be aware of and by hoping that you're good at it, that is, you know, that's Russian roulette with your drumming. Like maybe you are, maybe you aren't, but it's, I think you have to really care about it. And caring about time is what makes you better at time. Everyone that has fantastic time that I've spoken to, there was never a secret method to it where I'm like, oh, I've never thought of that. It was always somebody who was like, I don't know, I just really like, I really want to have good time, so I work on it a lot. But their methods of working on it are as simple as, I play along to records or I play along to a click. It's really the fact that they were on the drum set for 20 minutes each day being aware of their time and tr- and not being satisfied with whatever time they have. And they're trying to get better at it. I will say for me, a lot of it is just this going down um, the staircase process of starting with a metronome that is the subdivision of whatever I'm working on and then slowly becoming more and more responsible for the time. So if I start working on a pattern out of 16th notes my metronome starts at 16th notes and in that case i'm responsible for none of the time i'm just trying to match my drumming up to that click and then eventually i take away half the notes which in this case would make the click eighth notes and now i'm responsible half half the time and the click's responsible for half the time then i take it away to quarter notes so my third step maybe 45 minutes deep into my practice session is where most people would start which is a quarter note metronome and then I keep going from there, and so I'm responsible for more and more of the time. Yeah, that's think, just one of the many things I do. I think for me, that's that's the way I I don't do it step by step every time, but I definitely spend a certain amount of practice time every day with all the subdivisions clicking, and a certain amount of time every day with almost none of the subdivisions clicking, or a loop that doesn't have an obvious downbeat or something like that. So I'm I'm always kind of like volleying back and forth between micro time and macro time, micro time yeah. and macro time, and that Absolutely. way. I'm 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 sharpening my hearing for subdivisions, but at the same time, I'm sharpening my awareness of larger spans of of time and my internal mm-hmm. pulse. I did a clinic. Oh, by the way, shout out to Rocky's Music Studio up near Albany, New York, for having me out last weekend. That was awesome. Great crowd. Um, great question too about this, um, and, and it was: Should I be practicing with a gap click? And I my response was. No, you should not. Not if you can't bury a click at 16th notes, 8th notes, off beats. Because for me, when you start practicing with a metronome that drops out randomly, all it's doing is telling you where you're wrong. 
It doesn't give you any solution to the problem. So I use the gap click as a final step. Do I really think I can hear an entire measure of 120 BPM accurately? Let me test it. Nine times out of ten, you're going to realize no, and you got to go back to quarter notes, eighth notes, offbeats, right. all the subdivisions. So I don't condone that only as a, a final step of do I really have this nailed? Let me just put on a, a metronome that drops out. But if you just start with that, you're always going to be fishing. You're always going to be shooting targets, right. and you're I not going to know how I, to fix it. I put a gap click into the world of drum games. You know, I, I would get if I had five or six drummers here and we wanted to just blow off some steam it's like all right we're doing gap click and you have to improvise during the gap and we're laughing at how off it is but yeah. i don't consider it to be like now we're really getting into it's not the good effective stuff. it's almost like no. a, like like basic training for the military like it's right. going to beat you down and it's going to make you feel like crap and it's not going to give you a way out <laughs> you're just going to yeah. realize i suck i'm rushing i'm dragging i'm overcompensating yeah <laughs> I, I mean and i think that you know Ash kind of said it best to me, which was like, I've, he was like, I've just never had a, a producer press the mute button on the click for a whole bar while I was tracking the song. So why would I ever do that to myself? <laughs> like, that's, that's a good point. Uh, Every so other bar was pressing the mute button. I did have someone do that to me early on uh, because there was like an extra, it was like, it, it was before you could program tempos to change and stuff like that oh okay so like a couple bars where it had to change and then i had to jump back into a new click and it it was not cool but that was the one time and and that would probably never happen again now because you can program a metronome to shift after eight bars yeah. Uh, yeah. the other thing i would suggest is go back to practicing counting your pulse out loud while you play everything uh, that's been the most recent great uh humiliator for me is can I play basic snare drum patterns and count the quarter note, count the 16th notes? Inevitably, there's going to be a spot where I think I can, but my counting just gets really strained. And I'm like, all right, there's there's an accent on the E or the uh that's throwing my awareness of the pulse off. That's the red flag for the spots where I might rush or drag the right. tempo. So count out loud. Again, it sucks. It's painful. But I think it's really important, and it's usually the first thing as a young student they get nervous about and they stop doing like i don't want to count out loud i'm not going to do it anymore and then we as teachers like all right well he's just a shy he or she's just a shy kid i'm not going to force him to count out loud but right it's really doing think, a disservice to your sense of time by not doing that counting out loud is the first step especially if you're just counting the coordinates i i think we confuse people sometimes where they think that we're talking about going one and a two and three and a four and we're not talking about counting everything you play we're talking about the pulse but i remember will kennedy when we were, I was struggling through this Yellow Jackets tune that he had me working on, and we were doing video exchange because he lives in Texas and I live here. And he said, "Hey, watch your body at this point in the song, and watch what your body thinks the pulse is. This is why you mm. sound so weird there." And it was a very complex thing, but there's still a quarter note. It wasn't like it wasn't in four four. There's still a pulse. Yeah, and I. All of a sudden, and it was it was funny. I my body grooved quarter notes during the A sections, during the B sections, and during all the fills, my body either was still or just was shucking and jiving the <laughs> random notes. And he's like, you know, there's a pulse through that stuff, right? And it, and so just even feeling the pulse um, and being able to count it out loud while playing those improvised patterns and phrases that's what makes and that's what why will grooves even if he's soloing there's yeah. an overriding pulse over the whole thing so i think the pulse is the key to having good time and if whatever you're playing causes you to sit completely still hold just to breath. play it yeah <laughs> yeah hold your breath it's probably you shouldn't be playing it. it's probably too complicated for you All yeah right. yeah yeah my last word would be always practice time whatever you're practicing time should be a part of it you should never practice double stroke roll with no sense of time or or linear right. licks with no sense of time like Agreed. if you want to get better at time it needs to be part of everything and it needs for me it needs to be you cannot overlook it you can't say uh i'll, I'll tighten up the time later no tighten up the time no, now <laughs> time is not the polish right? <laughs> yeah, right? for me dynamics that's polishing the car but uh -huh. time is not that time yeah. is the engine yeah <laughs> like, exactly yeah, I, I agree. All right, All right. let's uh, get into some pick of the weeks. Um, okay, I'll go first. Mine is actually ties right in with 
what we were just talking about. My pick of the week is the Gary Chafee book, Rhythm and Meter Patterns. I've had this book since probably 1995. It's all yellowed and grayed up, and I am working on page 16, which may seem like it's far into the book. It's actually the first page of, of exercises. And here's what I'm doing with it. Uh, it's just... All it is is a 2-4 bar of all the subdivisions. So 2-4 bar of eighth notes, 2-4 bar of triplets, uh, 16 quintuplets, all the way up to 32nd notes, and then combinations of one beat of eighth notes in each of the subdivisions, so on and so forth. Okay. What I'm doing, because I've practiced this stuff ad nauseum for years, and I'm still still refining it, but what I just started doing yesterday, the metronome is on the off beat. So it's on the and of every note. So okay. if I can play, obviously, eighth notes, it's going to line right up with it. As soon as you switch to triplets, now you're playing a three against two polyrhythm because yep. the click is on the end. Sixteenth right. notes, you're back in your comfort zone. Quintuplets with an offbeat click, that was like, okay, I can't play quintuplets. I thought I could. I can't do it. So It's so weird, right? <laughs> I mean, it's just it's weird how much we need things to match up and line up. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And I'm tapping my foot the whole time. It's it's that ex- exactly what you were talking about. My brain just goes to mush, and I can't trust myself. So right. uh, get this book, Rhythm and Meter Patterns, if you want to join in my mania. Uh, definitely master them with a quarter note click before jumping into the offbeat click. And I put mastering them in quotes because you'll never master them. But if you want a great humiliator, <laughs> put an offbeat click and then try to play triplets and quintuplets against it. It nice. ain't easy. All right. My pick of the week is a video this time, and it actually has to do with drumming. Holy crap. Oh, my. I'm, I'm actually getting back into being a drummer. Uh, so uh, I'm sure most of you have seen on Instagram or maybe even on Facebook these little clips from uh, Vic Firth's VF jams that were done last year. This isn't brand new stuff by any means. Uh, this was actually filmed in January of 2018. But I was showing my band last night. We were talking about Sput, and I was saying, you know, he arranged all of this music. Like all mm-hmm. these artists, Matt Garska, Benny Greb, they all sent their songs to Sput. Then he arranged everything and played keys on everything for these artists and their songs. Mm-hmm. And we were watching the Benny Greb one. And as amazing as the drumming is, which it truly is, I mean, Benny is at a whole nother level right now. Just the overall song, like what it would have taken to put this thing together. There's vocalists in there. There's a huge horn section, multi, multiple keys, multiple guitars, bass and everything. And it's just it's just a fun hang. I'm saying this as a Vader artist. So Yeah, yeah it's funny. You know, I, I was talking to Mark Giuliano about that whole event and – he said, "You know, everyone played great, and it was an amazing experience. But the real, the real all star of the whole thing was Sput, because he had to arrange all of that stuff. He had to, he had to rehearse the band and actually do a lot of the some of the pieces are original pieces that he composed. So it's right. it's pretty impressive. That dude is next level musical genius. <laughs> so let me just to to just cap that off. I'm sure he wouldn't mind, but let me just read you a text he sent me yesterday that." I don't even know how to respond. Um, uh, let's see. I hope all's well. I've treated you all. Blah, blah, blah. Um, and then I'm also awaiting the next time I get to share with you. You'll be surprised how much I've learned now. Oh, no. Like he's trying to <laughs> tell me. It's so funny. Like he, he it's like, he's like, no, I'm really starting to get it. And I'm like, bro, I have no idea what you're doing. Like you're so far beyond me, man. I've. And I just love that he he really thinks like th- that's how he thinks. Yeah. He thinks he's still like just kind of coming up on the instrument, and I mean he's and and it's just amazing. So yeah, check out uh, if you want to do it. Please watch it on YouTube. I want you to watch the full thing. So it's just hashtag VF Jams Live, and then you can obviously watch Mark Benny or whatever. But I was I was watching the Benny one last night and was just blown away by the arrangements that Sput put together. So. I guess my pick of the week is Sput. <laughs> if you don't know Robert Sput Seawright, check out his band, Snarky Puppy, obviously, and Ghost Note with uh, Nate Worth. Yeah. 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 Uh, really, really cool stuff. So, all right, buddy. Well, we did it. We got through the first of 2019, finally, Not officially. Bad. Not bad. <laughs> all right. Well, 
If you guys liked it and you would like to help us out a little bit, please head on over to iTunes or wherever you get this podcast and give us a five-star rating and a review. That is how other drummers find this podcast, and that truly does mean the world to us. Do I think it will help this podcast grow? Yes. Yes, I do think that. <laughs> cool. I got it out of my system for the whole year. I don't ever need to do that crap again. I'm so nervous about what I'm saying. Don't ever ask yourself a question, Mike. Don't ever do it. <laughs> I know I'll never call myself an influencer. I know that. That's a given. Yeah. No. <laughs> and I'm going to come up with a new name for influencers so I can drop that into a hashtag. Oh, um, I would rather someone call me an innovator than an influencer any day oh, of the absolutely. week. Absolutely. Any day absolutely. of the week. Yeah. Or just All right, an, everybody. an employed drummer. Yeah. How about that? <laughs> that's that's the dream for all of us, right? That, that was That's my oh. dream for all my students is like, please text me the day that you pay all of your bills through nothing but the drum set. <laughs> I will. I will tell you that is the day that you have made it. If you want, to, if you want more after that, that's a cherry on top. But if you pay for all of your bills through the drum set, whether it's tuning them, writing about them, it doesn't matter. But it's through the drum world, then you've made it. Yeah, and that's yeah. all. At some point, we should probably have a conversation about what does it mean to be a professional drummer in 2019, because right. it's a whole different world. Yeah, if you're going to crush it in 2019, you got to bring that content. your influencer game. (laughs) All right, everybody, have a great, great week. We will see you guys next week. Hey, how about Tom's beat? (laughs) Tom's killing it in 2019. Uh, All right, this is Tom. How do you say his last name? Yeah. Dublier? Um, oh, Dublier. Dublier. Yeah. I made that up, by the way. But Tom is one of our students. I just don't know how to do his last name. He, he hasn't made a lot of videos. Got to introduce himself. Now, this is Tom's B. He's playing a big uh, 16 by 24 inch bass drum. Um, no, no kick drum mic, he says. So it's just one mic between the snare, ride, and bass drum. So this sounds great. No excuses for uh, not getting great sounds with minimal gear. Holy cow. All right, well, let's roll. (laughs) Let's get out of here. Uh.